Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Jay Parson and Michael Baranowski. Hello and welcome to the Politics Guys, a weekly roundup of what's been happening in American politics and why it matters. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week is, as always, Cleveland attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson, the man to see for all your commercial litigation needs. In this week's episode, Jay and I discuss the open letter 47 Senate Republicans sent to Iran, supposedly to educate them as to how the American political system works. Jay argues it may have been secretly brilliant, while I say it was not so secretly moronic and might backfire on them. Hillary Clinton, who grudgingly faced the media last week to answer questions about her use of private email for government business when she was Secretary of State. Will this matter in 2016? Jay says yes. I say, get real. The big week in Ferguson, Missouri, which saw the resignation of their municipal judge, city manager, police chief, and the shooting of two Ferguson police officers. Climate change. Is it a belief system or a scientific fact? And finally, what's it going to take for Secret Service agents to stop getting drunk, hiring hookers, and letting nuts with knives run into the White House? Our lead story this week is the letter that 47 Republican senators sent to Iran warning them against making an agreement with President Obama. Uh, you just can't trust this guy, Mike. You know, uh, so <laughs> what did you think about that, Jay? Well, I, you know, I think the, 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 bigger, the bigger story is uh, uh, the reaction that uh, it engendered on the left. And, and I, am, I was of two minds when it first happened. I wanna, I'm going to hit both these, these points. One is, is this something illegal, improper, wrongful, treasonous, as the New York Daily News said? Um, and then also, is, uh, was it a good idea? Um, and I'll tell you, I've, I've come around. Originally, I, my thought was, uh, uh, well, look, it's probably not a, it's not a legal violation, but it was probably a dumb idea. Uh, but the more I've thought about that, uh, it may be secretly brilliant. Secretly um, brilliant. Secretly okay. brilliant, and and hopefully intentionally so, but you just never know. Um, no, and the 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 internet's uh, the interwebs er- erupted uh, with uh, calls of, of how inappropriate this is that uh, a uh, con- Congress members uh, direct uh, a letter to uh, foreign government. Now, of course, it was it was an open letter. And so let's let's just say I want to go on record as saying open letters are. As a general rule, moronic. And this one I don't think is any different. When I see the words open letter, I, I roll my eyes. I rolled my eyes no less at this ridiculous, moronic open letter, which in fact actually got the legislative process a little bit wrong, actually, or the foreign policy process. Well, we can talk about that. But uh, I would say first, yeah, by definition, an open letter is, uh, is not really uh, meant for the person it's addressed to. Uh, it's, it's to uh, to to wind up uh, everybody else. I think it's a lazy way of getting publicity for an issue. Well, lazy or 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 good <laughs> might be another way to, to put it. Um, but uh, first of all, you know, going to the legality of this, there were there were folks who were screaming about the Logan Act, um, 
and in many cases they got the Logan Act wrong. Uh, Logan Act was uh, an act that was passed in 1799, uh, signed by President John Adams. And this goes back to, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the, the quasi-war that America was fighting with France uh, in the late 1790s. And um, uh, what happened was there was a guy, uh, George Logan, he was a state senator from Pennsylvania, uh, a lot of the the papers have reported that he was actually a sitting U.S. senator, but he was actually a state senator, which in those days was in many cases a much bigger deal. Um, and he took a trip to France and met with uh, your favorite uh, old French diplomat, uh, Talleyrand, yeah. and uh, uh, negotiated, essentially, for the the release of, of some prisoners that were being held. And he offered his his advice to the French about look, how you could do uh, a better job at PR uh, and prevent uh, a, a potential war or more um, hostilities uh, with, with the Americans. Um, he, was, he wasn't actually prosecuted, but this, this act was put in place that prevents people from conducting essentially their own personal foreign policy. Yeah, and, and just to break in here, to be clear, what uh, what this letter said is that uh, essentially that the Iranians might not understand how our system of government works, and even if they reached an agreement with President Obama, that agreement could be um, uh, abrogated by the next president because it would just be an executive agreement. It wouldn't have the— It's not a treaty. It's yeah. not a treaty, right. Um, but uh, so, so anyway— um, my the response I think uh, is is one the Logan Act has only been used one time in history uh, where someone was indicted for it and that was in 1803 uh, and he was although indicted never actually prosecuted um, again it had to do with dealings with France and uh, sort of during the the time that he would have been prosecuted uh, we bought Louisiana uh, and uh, a lot of the issues sort of became uh, became moot. Um, but uh, the other piece of this is the Logan Act even constitutional, and I think most people would, would probably say no um, in that it's, it's, uh, it stops uh, – prevents freedom of speech. Uh, again, it's never been subject to judicial review. Um, it, is, it is of a piece of – I mean it came out of the same time, same spirit as the Alien and Sedition Acts. Um, uh, so I, I would – I just would doubt that – Anything would ever happen, but every once in a while, people bring it up uh, when when someone starts uh, uh, when when someone who's not the president uh, starts communicating with uh, foreign leaders in one way or another. So, so let's get to the politics of this. What do you think that um, the the Republicans were trying to do with this letter? Let's let's assume that uh, their uh, ostensible purpose to educate. Uh, Iran on how our system of government works is it was not at all the purpose that would be ridiculous. But, I agree uh, that would be ridiculous. So, so what do you think they were? Uh, what do you think they're trying to do with this? I think what they're trying to do is is and what they succeeded in is putting this uh, issue of the Iran deal, what's in it, uh, how is it going to work, uh, front and center. Uh, you know, typically, I mean, you could have done the same thing, and people have noted this that well, why you could have just written an op-ed in the uh, the Wall Street Journal or something like that. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you, there was a really good op-ed in the Wall Street Journal by uh, John McCain last week about defense funding. Um, and I would ask, look, has anybody heard about that? Well, no, of course not. Uh, but you do something like this, and, it, and yeah, it's a political stunt. 
but it gets what what they're after, and that is uh, draws attention, makes it fun front page news. Yeah. The I, other th- go ahead. No, no, no. You first. I say I, I really liked the uh, response from uh, Iran on this, where they said that. Um, it seemed that the senators didn't really understand the American system of government where the president actually conducts foreign policy. I, I, I rarely find myself siding with Iran. With the mullahs. Uh, yes, you know, uh, on this on this one odd occasion, uh, I do actually. But but anyway, go ahead. You but, uh, well, we can talk uh, further about is this actually conducting foreign policy. Um, but what the, the second thing the letter did was – it sort of made Obama show his hand publicly on this, where he says, look, I'm, I'm not going to Congress on this. I'm never going to Congress on this. If Congress tries to stop me, I'll veto them. Uh, and, and sort of this, damn it, I'm going to get a deal with Iran um, uh, no matter what. Uh, he even uh, explained that his, the, the plan would be he gets this agreement and then he takes it to the uh, uh, UN Security Council. Yeah, you know, on, on the veto, I think that's an important point, and this is where some commentators have argued that uh, the Republicans might have actually, in a sense, shot themselves in the foot potentially, because before this letter, it looked like that even if there were a presidential veto on some uh, congressional action uh, stopping uh, some sort of agreement or putting in sanctions or something like further sanctions, that um, uh, that Congress might have, or the Senate might actually have a veto-proof Majority, and now it seems like there might be enough Democrats in in the House and the Senate who are uncomfortable with what Republicans did, making it kind of a party uh, partisan issue, that they might have lost a veto-proof majority. Yeah, you know, I, I hear you, but I think my response is so what because I don't I don't know that a uh, continued sanctions I think are, are well and good, and he's going to have to get those. Eventually, because he can't lift the sanctions by himself, um, he can suspend he them, I believe. But yeah, but you're right for lifting them entirely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, what he what he can do by himself, and what I think he's pledging to do is to say, look, we won't take any further action. There won't be any military action to try to stop you uh, if you continue to enrich uh, uranium at the levels we we would allow. Uh, and there's really not much Congress could do one way or another about that. So this this gets back to my my point of why I think it's it actually works because Iran is moving ahead regardless of of the sanctions and Iran understands that uh, if if Obama does what he says he's going to do takes it into the UN Security Council gets everyone else to sign on that uh, look if anyone is going to enforce this they'll have to go through the UN yada 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 uh, what's going to happen is to the extent there is a sanctions regime regime in place. Uh, it's going to fall apart. We might continue sanctions, but the Europeans won't. Uh, certainly not the Chinese or the Russians, uh, or or any of those folks who are, are usually not not well disposed to, to us. But um, I, so that's that's what I mean. I think uh, this is going to happen uh, regardless, and it's it's less a less a matter of uh, stopping the deal or preventing the deal or or do anything with that, but making it public. Uh, that now Obama says, here's what my plan is. I'm not going to talk to the representatives you elected, but I'm going to take this to the United Nations. Um, and I think the the big GOP victory in this, and it's not going to be apparent right now, but I think it will be uh, nine, 12 months down the road, is that Obama absolutely owns this Iran deal. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. And I think that... Um 
I don't know if it's a, a year down the road, but again, this goes back to a disagreement we had in last week's show that you seem to you seem to be much more in favor of the Netanyahu position that uh, a bad deal is worse than no deal at all, and yes. uh, my view would be that. Uh, uh, an imperfect deal, that's what I'd call it, in which there's at least uh, uh, some inspections and some transparency that would delay uh, Iran's effort to get nukes is better than no deal, which would allow them to essentially just go on like they are in, and I would argue, get nuclear weapons sooner than they otherwise would. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I think uh, I like the idea of the... Um, uh, Republicans laying down a, a marker, so to speak, saying, uh, listen, Obama, this deal is all yours, and he is proceeding with this, and it's going to put uh, Hillary or whoever, but let's say Hillary, in sort of a difficult position because she's going to have to uh, defend this. Well, well, I, I, I don't know if I entirely agree with that, though she has. I, I don't know if she's come out with a statement on this or not. She'd be wise not to, perhaps, but um, – I don't know that she'd have to defend it. It's clearly Obama's deal, Obama's well, State Department. So well, I don't no, know if I mean, this falls back on Hillary. To, she, at some point, she'll get the question, even even from the the, the media or uh, that uh, <laughs> that we have, um, uh, and maybe they link it to, uh, isn't this because you're you're a woman? But um, you know, is is she going to uh, continue to enforce whatever deal uh, the president gets? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, someone has to ask that at some point during the campaign, and she'll have to answer it at some point. Yeah. Speaking of um, Hillary Clinton and answering questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's uh, been in the news again. We talked about her a little bit last week, but uh, on on Tuesday, she uh, met with reporters and uh, uh, talking about her personal email account that she used when she was Secretary of State. And uh, according to everyone who was there, it was uh, an uncomfortable meeting that uh, she was a bit defensive, kind of lawyerly in her arguments. Not uh, not, uh, not like a Clinton uh, parsing words. You know, my, my, my favorite part of it was the, the first question uh, came from someone who claimed to be affiliated with uh, Turkish TV because uh, that's who you go to first. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. Circumstances. Who <laughs> said, do you think this is all uh, because you're a woman? Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's um, it seems inconceivable that the Clintons would, would plant a question like that uh, <laughs> in a press conference. You know, I, I uh, think... but, but even that, it, it's just sort of like, I mean, it's assuming that they, they did plant it. It seems so uh, clumsy and ham-handed that it's almost not deserving of the name Clinton. I mean uh... – well, <laughs> I think one interesting revelation that came out of this is she admitted that she deleted about half of her emails – from right. from this time, and there's really no way that, that that we know of to get those back at this point, since they were, you know, in her own personal uh, her own personal mail server. Well, but, the the other like interesting, and this kind of plays off what I said last last week. But my surprise isn't so much that uh, Hillary Clinton's being sneaky; it's the fact that uh, the press is getting wound up about it. Uh, the AP is is filing suit to uh, to get uh, these various emails. Uh, and I think that's kind of uh, surprising and and, uh, and welcome. Well, yeah, and another piece is that uh, we're learning that uh, top Hillary aides, like uh, uh, the former, or is she the former? Or is she the current Mrs. Weiner still? Uh, whom former, Abigail, I believe. Yeah. Uh, also had a private email uh, system and didn't use the State Department. 
uh, email system and that they may have been other top aides who chose to operate uh, uh, without using the uh, government email system. I think it I think it brings uh, – well, on the media thing that you mentioned, I'm not that surprised because the media tends to get very upset when they feel someone's keeping something from the media, even if it's one of their uh, – uh, you know, favorites. I, there was a great uh, comment by Frank Bruni, one of the editorial or op-ed guys from the New York Times, which, of course, the New York Times will endorse Hillary Clinton against whatever Republican ends up running against her. And sure. you know, big fans, all of them, especially on the op-ed page. But uh, in commenting on this, he said, you know, once again, you show, they showed how Hillary Clinton feels aggrieved by Americans' refusal to see and simply trust how well-intentioned and virtuous and good for the country she is. I think that that sums it up, doesn't it? I mean, it? In, a, in a nutshell, that to me, that's Hillary Clinton, you know. Um, and uh, one of the problems potentially that the Democrats have is that they've essentially put all their eggs in the Hillary basket. There is really no one running against her. I mean, Elizabeth Warren is not going to run. Joe Biden is not a serious contender. Uh, it's it's Hillary Clinton, period. Um, and so, which is why I think a lot of Democrats have, uh, not in the media, but a lot of you know Democrats in politics have defended her because they know that this is it. It's Hillary Clinton or I don't know Jeb Bush, whoever the Republicans have. That you know that's it for them. And that's well, I'd see, I see. I I'm st- I'm still t- uh, surprised by the the uh, lack of defense that Hillary's been receiving. See, I, I disagree. I think I she's getting I don't plenty think of defense. I not of, of, of a defense mounted by fellow Democrats. I mean, there's been sort of, I mean, Obama, in fact, sort of threw her under the bus. Uh, no love lost of, between those two. True. And I think it's the same could be said with a lot of, a lot of other Democrats is uh, they're reluctant to wade into this to fight a, uh, another fight for the Clintons. Um, because uh, let's let's face it, um, I mean, I, politics is in in some cases, I mean, tribal. I mean, it's it's less parties than it is, uh, you know, gangs and personalities and, and this clique versus that clique. Uh, and and I think there's there's something to that. There are plenty of Democrats who are are on the outside of the Clinton uh, Clinton clique, and uh, would see their their future as to be less rosy. Uh, for the next four years if she is elected. It, it, it's more than a click. I would say it's a dominant gang. Uh, Criminal enterprise? Well, I would <laughs> you know, they go that far. No, but um, they're definitely the 800-pound gorilla here. Um, yeah. Then no one has the networking. No one has the fundraising. I mean, they can crush anything that comes before them, and, and they certainly have. So and this is the point, you know, this is what the uh, political science people call the invisible campaign, the point where – Everyone is getting together their donor networks and and so forth, and we see a lot of that on the Republican side, a lot of activity. But on the Democrat side, it's pretty much all Hillary, and so mm-hmm. this is it for better or worse. I think it's going to be Hillary versus you know whoever the Republicans can uh, come up with. Well, I mean, do do you as a political scientist, uh, do you think that's the best way to choose a candidate? I, I can see pros and cons. I mean, we talked earlier about look, you're not spending the money, but well, yeah, that's the big, that's the big pro. The unity is that you can, you know, you can really uh, not have that divisiveness, and that's, you know, that's certainly a good thing. Not have to worry about those challenges. But on the other hand, there's the argument that you know, getting through a rough primary can teach you something, uh, can make you a better candidate for the general election. And uh, you know, I don't know that Hillary. Well, there's also there's also what I, I would call sort of the the inoculation factor uh, that that you get the bad stuff out there. 
uh, and you you deal with it, and the the uh, the the voters get a chance to hear this and sort of sort through it, and uh, maybe let it go. Uh, yeah, and know. I think that's the big advantage of this story coming out now for Clinton is that um, uh, the voters aren't going to. Well, they might they'll be reminded of it certainly, but they're not going to care that much about it. I mean, for people who've been following Hillary Clinton for decades, this is just kind of a window into her soul, at least the public, you know, demonstration <laughs> of her soul. Uh, and well, so you're, you assume a soul where I, I, I I'm I'm reluctant to think there is one. Well, <laughs> but again, I think for for most, you know, the most voters who are going to be legitimately undecided that this is not going to resonate. A whole lot, so I, I think it's. I, you know, I, I differ with you there. I, I I differ with you because I think in a lot of cases with undecided voters, and independent voters, uh, you know, people who really claim that they're not voting a, a particular party line and they vote for the person and so forth, uh, these sort of issues of of personal integrity do come into play, and and I think you know your typical independent voter is is always looking for the person who's not the the insider, um, and and I think this this is sort of very much insider behavior, and I think that would turn off a lot of your your uh, true independence. Well, well, there aren't that many independent voters in the first place. I mean, there right. are people who say they're independents, but true independents, very small proportion of the electorate. Most people who are independents are, are are lying, basically, if not to the pollsters, to themselves. So, I, I just don't see it as making that much of a difference really most everyone's mind is going to be made up and uh, i just don't see this as being uh, that big of a deal all right well we will uh we will see uh i i predict that this will continue to be a, a big deal because the fun thing about emails especially when there's uh you know hundreds of thousands of them is someone's going to have them they're going to turn up somewhere uh you know there's indications that, that the system was already hacked at some point uh earlier uh, it's 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 not going to go away, and um, uh, she's going to have to answer for this. And there will be other email servers, okay. or she'll have to explain why. Um, you know, okay. she had all. You know, I, I, it's, I'm, I'm saying it's not going away. Okay. Well, I totally disagree. It's going away. She's not going to have to answer to it for it. It is totally not a big deal. Will have zero impact on the 2016 right. presidential election. All right. Well, all right. You're, you're confident again. Yes, I am. All right. Okay. Move, moving on. Uh, it's been a big week. Uh, last week was a big week in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, uh, on Monday, uh, their municipal court judge resigned, and the Missouri Supreme Court appointed uh, a state appeals court to oversee all the municipal cases. Then on Tuesday, their city manager stepped down. On Wednesday, it was the police chief. And then Thursday, uh, two police officers were shot in what's called what was called an ambush during, uh, during a protest. So... Uh, a lot of stuff going on in, in Ferguson. What, what do you make of all this, Jay? Well, I, I think the given the, the revelations of the federal report, the fact that the municipal judge stepped down, uh, I think that is a, a good thing. Um, so the system's part, working. I mean, after the fact a little bit, but at well, least... Well, no, I, I, yeah, I think, uh, I think, listen, this is, they've been called on the carpet. And, you know, my bigger concern was, was these, this uh, over-policing uh, the uh, exorbitant fines, court costs, uh, and, and using the criminal justice system as a as a you know not a not for the purposes of public safety, but the purposes of public finance, and that's something that's always troubled me. So I, I think that's that's good that he's stepped aside. Uh, you know, same goes with uh, uh, the other folks. Given the 
the tenor of some of the emails, uh, the, you know, uh, racism that, that was in there, regardless of, of whether that uh, transmitted itself into the actual policing or not. I think when you've got those kind of comments uh, publicly being made, uh, the top guy's got to step down. Um, so, I, you know, I wasn't overly surprised, and I think that's probably uh, steps in the right direction. Yeah, I think it's uh, real good to see that they're cleaning house, which definitely needed to happen. Uh, I think there's a long, a long way to go. Unlike you, I'm a little more concerned about the uh, uh, the racial disparities and the, the the, the, those kind of issues as opposed to the using the police department to you know to collect money essentially for the city but uh, whatever your concerns I think everyone can agree that having some new people in Ferguson uh, is at least uh, somewhat of a positive step potentially right and, and you know the the other piece that and I think this is sort of a, a weird thing that we've got where you know the Justice Department exonerated. Uh, the officer, but in sense, in a sense, uh, convicted the the department. Um, you've you've got a weird situation where people are out there marching still for for Michael Brown. Um, they're not really marching over uh, overly aggressive policing or or uh, heavy court costs or or that sort of thing. And I I think there's sort of a disconnect. Um, and I think that that's going to be. That's going to come to the forefront as uh, as the year drags on because I don't know that these protesters are going away, and I don't think that uh, changing the judge, changing the police chief is going to satisfy them. Well, I think what's going to make a big difference will be whatever consent agreement that uh, they reach with the Justice Department. I mean, that can make a big difference. I know it made a, uh, it made a difference in Cincinnati uh, when, when that was done in, I think it was 2001 or 2002 after some riots that we had. So those are the kind of things, I think, that changing the culture and changing how the police do their jobs, uh, I think that's the kind of thing that's going to make a difference. It's going to be quieter. It's going to take some time. But I, uh, based on the, my uh, my experiences in Cincinnati, which, you know, isn't perfect, but has, has a way to go, but it's gotten a lot better, I think that there's going to be a, a positive change over time in Ferguson. Yeah, I, I, I'd say it can probably only get better at this point. Yeah, so. it, it, certainly the bar is set uh, kind of low where things uh, where things are, definitely. Okay, um, there was an article that I uh, mentioned to you this week um, uh, from the New Republic, probably not your favorite uh, periodical. I'm not guessing. not my favorite, but you know, I, I do read it. Yeah, and, so uh, for, for those I, of you who I, don't know, the New Republic is a, uh, a center-left-ish uh, uh, weekly magazine, uh, political magazine, and, and the article was entitled, Climate Change Isn't a Belief Like Religion, It's a Scientific Fact. Right, and I would, I would describe the New Republic as, as uh, uh, often wrong, but usually thoughtful. So <laughs> I, I, I say it's fair enough. I, I, would, I would disagree with the often wrong part, but yes, uh, usually thoughtful is true. So what did you think about this? Well, you know, we'll post the article on the, the website so other people uh, can read it. And, yeah. and I think, I think the the argument that they're they're making is is a fair one, um, but it sort of begs the question. Uh, and that 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 is that they're saying um, it is a scientific fact, and uh, the reason we don't believe in it is be, is because it's a scientific fact, and it's because it's been scientifically proven. Um, it, it's sort of circular. Uh, uh, and well, I would I would respond that you know that uh, look the reason science works the reason we have scientific facts are uh, we've got a process uh, whereby things are tested verified retested 
uh, tested again. Uh, and, and that's how we know it's right. It's not a matter of faith that we, we simply believe this or not. So, um, you know, I, I guess from a, a semantic point, the article is right that saying um, belief in global warming isn't, isn't a belief like a, uh, a religious belief is uh, because it's, it's based on uh, uh, what, what they say is, is scientific evidence. But I, I think you've got to say that if you're going to uh, uh, cite this as scientific evidence, you have, you have to be, have a rigorous scientific process. And that's what I think is often lacking uh, in the uh, global warming world. Well, I, and I think, you know, I'm no scientist. I sound like a Republican here. <laughs> I am no scientist, but I can certainly appreciate that when the vast, vast majority of scientific consensus, of actual real scientists, suggests, number one, that climate change is a real thing that's happening, and number two, that human activity seems to be uh, very strongly related to it. Um, uh, those two things I can accept because that's what almost all of the scientists have found. Now, but past that point, I think the important question is, if you're willing to accept that, and of course a lot of Republicans aren't willing to accept that for various reasons that we'll have to get into at some other point. Right. The, the big question then is, what can we and what should we do about it? And I think this is a big enough question where it'd be a, a, an interesting topic for a very special episode of the politics guys. Oh, we should do that. We could do like, an, we could do it for earth day. Yeah, that would be, that would, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we should, we should do that. But, uh, but for now, I think we can, we can agree. I think we can agree. And here's, here's where I, I do want to say though, I, I hear your scientific consensus argument and I, I respond with a look, we're not saying that uh, it's it's just a matter of the earth is warming and there's a consensus that human activity could be a part of it. Because to me, again, that's not that's not scientific. Scientific is saying we can measure this and we can tell you this is what it's what's doing and this is what the outcome will be. And if you do X, you will get a result of Y. Oh, I, I if, totally disagree with that. I mean, I think launch, if we launch this this rocket at this speed. Uh, and we've, we're judging the motion of these bodies and, and uh, correctly, we can land the rocket on the comet. Um, and that's, that's science. We, we know what, what we're doing, and you know what? The proof that we got it right is that we landed the, uh, I, the spaceship I, on the comet. I, I would disagree. I think when you're dealing with enormously complex systems uh, like, like, the, uh, like the global climate, that uh, you can't be that precise and expecting that level of precision is, is just is just wrong uh but what we can say is we You're can talk in generalities on on moons of saturn that's pretty complicated that's well, pretty precise well yeah but i mean talking about making predictions about what's going to happen in 10 20 30 years that's when that you're you're right that's when things get a lot less precise because we don't really know. And what the media, unfortunately, tends to do is they tend to focus on the worst-case scenario and a range of estimates. And I think that is a problem. But on the other hand, the potential disaster, if the worst-case scenario happens, is, is something that needs to be considered because this is the only planet that we have of course but but again we're getting into we're getting into territory that i think we could go on right. for so, so bottom line you you think uh is is the global warming is it a belief or is it simply a scientific fact that that you accept global warming is a scientific or fact change, that i have accept yeah the climate right. change is a scientific fact that i accept just like 
the vast, vast majority of all climate scientists. All right. Well, I, I will I will go on record again as saying I love science, and uh, it's precisely because I love science that I'm skeptical over precise uh, conclusions. And if if we can start seeing um, the 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 uh, models that, that that are variously put together actually predicting actual outcomes that actually work, uh, then uh, I'm I'm happy to to sign on with you. But uh, I haven't seen that yet. So okay, well we'll definitely have to have a longer and I'm sure fairly contentious debate on this. Uh, like you said, maybe for a, for an Earth Day episode, that would be great. Yeah. Okay. Um, moving on, I don't know if you heard about this. The Secret Service is in the news again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This week, uh, this last week, two senior Secret Service agents were under investigation for crashing a government-issued car into a White House barricade after a night of drinking. I like I like how you say that they're under investigation yes. for crashing away. Like, 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 hmm. Like they see that the the car kind of crumpled up against the barricades. Right. And the truck and officers stumbling out and wonder what's going on here. Let's let's an investigation. Yeah. But uh, and these aren't these aren't new guys. One of these right. guys, in fact, was the second in command on Obama's uh, personal protective detail. Yes. So, uh, and I, I love the quote from the chairman of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee who has, you know, uh, oversight authority over the Secret Service, he said, it's never good to be drunk at work, especially if you are in the Secret Service. I, I think that's, you know, that's hard to argue with. All, uh, and, the, well, of course, the Secret Service has had a, a rough time uh, lately. In 2012, there were... Uh, well, around, some good times in South America. Oh, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, there I, were a dozen of them. Yeah, the Service had a rough time. Individual agents have, have uh, had quite a good time. So, yeah, oh, uh, yeah. There were, like I said, in 2012, a dozen of them were caught with prostitutes in uh, Colombia, and they had been drinking. And I love the report I read. Nearly all of those agents were dismissed. Right. So, you know, if you, there were a few. Yeah, they were with the hookers, and they weren't drinking that much, I guess, or I don't know exactly how that works. And then, of course, last year, there were two agents that were sent home from a presidential trip to Europe. Uh, one of them was found passed out in a hotel hallway from a night of drinking. Mm-hmm. And then, of well, course, it, that it, it, well, there have also been various uh, lapses in security. Uh, for example, the president's trip to South Africa, um, where there was the sort of <laughs> goofy would-be uh, sign language interpreter at Nelson Mandela's funeral. Right. Uh, president sharing an elevator ride with uh, other folks who had, had not been cleared. Um, Last uh, fall, the guy yeah, who climbed just, over the you, White House fence, and apparently the Secret Service, the fence, they, they were off drinking. Fence, yeah, and uh, 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 yeah, he got all the way inside. And I think the the guy who actually tackled him was an off duty agent who was apparently just c- coming to or going from a bar or something like that. I don't know, but uh, uh, the Secret Service has a problem. It seems like it has a drinking problem. Uh, you, you feel like it? You could have a really good. 12-step meeting with just Secret Service agents, I think. Uh, so what do you think is going on with the Secret Service? Well, there's there's obviously been some sort of managerial problems, and, and you know, the administration vowed to get to the bottom of this a couple years ago after the uh, Colombian situation, um, and it appears it, it still hasn't happened. So it, it, it looks like it just means, must be some sort of, you know, you hate to say cultural ingrained, but, I mean, obviously it's, that's got to be one of the highest-stress jobs in, in the world. Um and, of course, a great token. way to deal I mean, with stress is to get drunk. To, yeah. to drive your car drunk uh, into your place of work. Uh, you know what I 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's certainly not. Well, and, you know, you might wonder whether, what we can do about this. I would think per, perhaps uh, testing of agents to make sure they're actually not uh, they're not drinking or not drunk on duty. I don't know. It seems like a reasonable idea. If, you know, Republicans yep. want to uh, drug test or want to test, uh, you know, p- potential uh, benefits recipients, uh, maybe we should do some drug testing on Secret Service agents. Why well, I should absolutely, and I would I would hope that we already do or or did, but uh, I think it uh, needs to be maybe a little more frequent if they're crashing in the barricades that, yeah. and passing out drunken hallways. I don't know if it's that unreasonable to say that uh, if you're a Secret Service agent and you are on call or potentially could be on call, that uh, you can't have any alcohol. Yeah, well, I'd I'd be on board with that. So <clears throat> um, you know, call me a, a killjoy here the weekend before St. Patrick's Day, but yes. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a, a reasonable thing. But it seems like the Secret Service is a good place to go if you want to have fun. I don't know, a Bye. good time. It seems to be had by all. It's all fun and games until someone crashes into a White House barricade. Yep. I guess. Yep. So, 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 yeah. Hey, I actually, you know, I want to throw out one last last thing as, yeah. as we're, we're getting ready to go. And this is, uh, again, goes to the uh, the Logan Act and the Vox article, or the, not the Vox article, the, uh, the letter and some of the responses that were out there. And, and I'm going to observe that it's been said that all uh, procedural arguments are disingenuous, and uh, I think we could add to that uh, a lot of arguments about diplomatic protocol uh, are likewise disingenuous. Um, you know, Joe Biden made the the statements uh, that uh, this was an unprecedented act. Uh, this this open letter, um, but you do just a little bit of research, and apparently no one thought to, to fact check Joe Biden. Which I mean, let let that sentence sit in for you know sit in for a minute. Um, but you can do just a little bit of research and find numerous, numerous other occasions where sitting members of Congress have engaged in discussions uh, with foreign governments uh, against the will of the administration. Um, and, and this is this what some might might say is uh, um, the using the the argumentative fallacy of uh, two quoque, meaning uh, well you did it too, so it's uh, kind of two wrongs make a right. Mm-hmm. But when someone's saying that the reason this is, is shocking and terrible because it's unprecedented, I think it is fair argumentation to say, uh, no, it's not unprecedented. Uh, and my examples would be uh, there was a letter written by a bunch of senators. Uh, I believe Senator Biden was included in this uh, to um, Sandinista Commandante uh, Daniel Ortega. This was back in the 1980s. Uh, and it's, it's called the, the Dear Commandante letter. <laughs> um, no, again, I- just the I mean, fact that you're, if you're starting a letter saying, Dear Commandante, I, just nothing good's going to come of it. Well, I want to point out, though, the big difference is that was 10 representatives uh, that wrote this letter, whereas in this, uh, there was 47, almost all but seven, uh, Republican senators. So that is a big difference. And I think maybe it's more reflective of how politics has changed since the 1980s. It's uh, much, uh, much more partisan, much more divided and so forth. So, OK, I'll grant your point. Absolutely. This is not unprecedented. Well, but... no, no. And I'm saying in, in, in fairness to, to my other thing, saying it's all disingenuous, uh, um, Newt Gingrich was outraged by this and and suggested it may have been, in fact, been a violation of the Logan Act. Um uh, but, uh, you love the Logan Act. Uh, I do love the Logan Act. I, I'm a I'm a big scholar of that, like early Federalist period. So yeah, I I do. Um, but another example, that, which is even a little more sinister, is that there's evidence that Ted Kennedy in in 1984 met with uh, the Soviets uh, in order, and the the deal was, listen, uh, hey Andropov, I will give you um, 
some hints on how to deal with Reagan on how to respond to these things. Uh, in return, I would appreciate uh, some support from the Soviet Union in my my uh, re-election campaign or my election campaign or playing on running for president. Wow. Um, and at first I thought, you know, when I first ran across the story, I thought this is sort of something out of the, the fever swamps of the right. Um, but no, I, I've, I've looked this up and there's a lot of credible sources for it. I'll, I'll go ahead and, and post the link. I mean, the most recent one was from, uh, from Forbes. Um, uh, but even if you set that aside, you've got the uh, Nancy Pelosi going to meet with um, uh, Bashir al-Assad. Uh, you've got uh, um, uh, uh, Congressman uh, Jim McDermott, who is uh, going to be a human shield in Baghdad. Uh, it, it happens all the time, and, and you can say that it yeah. may be ill-advised, but it's not unprecedented, uh, no, I, and it's not a, a, a shocking violation of the separation of powers. I, I, I disagree with you, and we'll have to end on this disagreement, but uh, uh, I, I disagree with you because I think it's not unprecedented in the sense that it hasn't ever been done before. You might say that's the definition of unprecedented. Fair enough. It, but, yes, it is, in fact. But, <laughs> but, but what is unprecedented is the almost unified response of one party. It's one thing to have Ted Kennedy doing some insane thing. It's a whole other thing for almost all of the Senate Republicans to be doing it. To me, that is unprecedented. Well, we'll we'll have to leave it there. And I might come. I might even have some other examples uh, that we can post to the website on uh, on on massive uh, uh, actions by uh, by sitting senators. But uh, I think that's that's it for this week. Yeah, that is for this week's episode. That That's all. Uh, thank you for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. We'll be back next Sunday with another look at the week in American politics. We hope you'll join us.